Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Anyways, I want to share with you tonight a talk that honestly I've just been reminding myself of over these last two weeks. I'm going to be real with you that you're going to get a, a peek into Scott's devotional life over the last two weeks, just reminding myself of where I need to be at. So I've entitled this tonight, The Place of Pressure. The Place of Pressure. And what I want to speak to tonight are those, those times in life where you are overcome and you are overwhelmed and you just feel like the weight of life is crushing down on top of you. And, you know, we all go through seasons, different seasons of life where you'll experience this. And it, you can experience it in a number of different ways. There can be times where it's family pressure, where it's dynamics with relationships. There are times where it can be financial pressure, um, where, where you have the weight of providing for a spouse or your children, a family. It, it can be um, times where there's pressure of expectation, things, uh, expectations that people, parents maybe have placed on you or spouses placed on you. It can be performance pressure that you have deadlines and you have things that you need to do and things that you need to attain and, and succeed and you name it. There are so many different ways that we can experience pressure. Depression, anxiety, fear, these things will put pressure on our lives that can get so debilitating that we can't even move. We can't even go forward. And so we go through seasons like this of life, and you may start to experience a break in the pressure, but life is what it is, and, and it's usually, for me, it doesn't take too long before I find myself in a different scenario or a different situation where maybe I'm feeling a different kind of pressure or sometimes the same one. And the, the weird thing about pressure is that it can cause you to do some crazy things. Uh, pressure can get you to do things that you normally would never do, Right? You know, I, I've preached before about this idea that sometimes when, when you're squeezed, you get a picture of what's really in there. And there are aspects of that that I do believe. And then this week, I'm also like, yeah, but you know what? I also think that sometimes pressure makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. Sometimes you could just be crazy under pressure. Sometimes you could just snap under pressure. My, uh, my dad, I'm just going to preface this embarrassing story of him with telling you that he's awesome. Um, I love my dad. My dad is, is a gracious person. He's a patient person. He loves people. Now I'm going to embarrass him real quick. Um, I have this amazing memory as a child. So my dad is so funny because, you know, he can stay patient. He can stay patient. He can stay patient. And then when he goes, he goes. It's like a it's like snap. And um, there, we had this, uh, this moment where we were in New Jersey. We were living in New Jersey. We were two miles outside of Manhattan. So anyone that would come and visit us, you know, it was like, oh, we want to see the city. So my dad had this whole route that we would take. We'd do it late at night. We'd drive through Times Square and show him all the touristy things. And uh, we had this good old boy pastor from Georgia come up with his son, and he wanted to see New York City. And so, you know, just the most polite individual that you could ever imagine, Southern Belle. I don't know if you can use that for a guy, but I just did. Um, <laughs> And so him and his son, they wanted to see New York City. And so our family took them in. We drove in. That's what we did. We drove in. We didn't pay for transportation. We drove. And so this one night, we were in Times Square. And I don't know if there was an accident or construction or maybe it was just New York. But we were not moving. Like, I mean, I don't mean like we're not moving like we we're crawling like five miles an hour. Like, we weren't moving. Like, in park, not moving. Okay. Times Square at like 11 o'clock at night, there are people everywhere. There are horses and police officers and police cars and barricades. And you know how just New York City is. For any of us that are in New York, it's just New York. But for someone from Georgia, 
this is chaos. Like, this is absolute chaos. And so this guy was, I think, a little nervous. He was talking incessantly. And, uh, you know, he was just, his eyes were darting everywhere. And he was just kind of like taking it all in. And um, as we're sitting there, I can just tell my dad's getting a little stressed out. And I can, growing up with my dad, I can read my dad like a thermometer. I know when it's going to happen. And as long as it's not pointed at me, it's so enjoyable to watch. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. You know, when it's pointed at you, it's just the worst. But if, if it's not at me, I'm like, let's go. And so we're sitting there in traffic. I can tell my dad's starting to get stressed out. I can tell that he's not listening to a word this guy is saying. This guy's sitting two feet from him. He's just talking incessantly. And my dad's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he has that blank stare on his face, and he's just getting stressed. Well, then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this taxi cab driver behind us starts going like, beep, beep, beep. And, like, literally we're in park. We can't go anywhere. There's, like, he could see there's 8,000 cars in front of us. But he's just, like, beep, beep. And I could see my dad's eyes, like, darting into the rearview mirror. I'm, like, oh, sound. I hit my sister. I'm, like, it's about to go down. This is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. The guy from Georgia doesn't think anything of it. He just keeps talking. Da -da 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 -da. This taxi cab driver just keeps getting a little more meep. Me, 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 you know, to the point where he was just like, me. And my dad was just like, <laughs> excuse me one second, unbuckles, flings the door open. Mind you, I left the key part of the story out. This guy from Georgia was the pastor that was preaching at our church in two days. Uh, my dad steps out into the street and goes, hey, let's go. Go get out of the car. Let's go. <laughs> my mom is literally like, oh my God, like crawling under her seat. This guy from Georgia is literally, like, panicked. My sister and I are dying laughing in the back seat. And then as fast as my dad snapped, and I mean he snapped, it hit him. What did I just do? And the taxi cab driver's, like, rolling up his window, locking the doors, like, panicking. My dad literally just gets back in the car, shuts the door, buckles up, and he's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and... And it kind of, you know, it ruined the rest of the night. Made my night. Made a great memory. But my dad was just so embarrassed. But he just snapped. You know, he got so overwhelmed and overcome with this pressure-packed situation that he just lost it. So many of us have a tendency that when life is just crushing down on us, we do some pretty weird things. We, we do things that we might not normally do. And the reason is because when you're feeling the pressure, it's just natural to seek the nearest form of relief. Seek the, the nearest release that you can. And, and when you have that state of mind, you, you don't have good judgment. And you don't think things through the way that you should all the time. And so sometimes I, I'm so concentrated on finding relief that I don't think about consequences. And I make decisions and I do things that I end up reaping the consequences later on because I, I really didn't use good sound judgment when I did it. So in moments like this, a lot of times we turn to things like drugs and, and drinking and sex and relationships and fighting or flipping out on somebody or self-infliction. All of these things we'll turn to for relief. And think whatever you want about me, but I'm going to be honest with you tonight. Most of those things work. You've probably never heard a pastor say that, but I'm going to be honest with you. People wouldn't do those things if they didn't work. But it's temporary. And when I say work, I don't mean it fixes the problem. It distracts you from the problem. And when those things wear off, when the night is over, when the person leaves, when you're left with the weight of your decisions, you end up feeling worse than you did before. You end up feeling more empty. 
you, you end up realizing that that thing that you were searching for relief from just distracted you, but the problem is bigger and worse than ever. And so I want to look at tonight, how, when, when, when life is pressuring me, when, when I'm feeling crushed, how do I be the person that I want to be? Like, how do I make sure that I use sound judgment? How do I make sure that I don't fall into the trap of just seeking relief or release or distraction, but I actually handle myself the way that I should? How do I be the person that God created me to be when I feel like the pressure is mounting to a point where I don't know what to do? I can't take it anymore. You know, Jesus went through the most pressure-packed season of life that any human ever has. And he leaves us the most practical and simple method on how to deal with pressure and how to get through a situation like that. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 26 a few verses. And this is a portion of scripture that many people have heard before. But it's basically looking at these last few hours of Jesus' life. And so we're going to pick up right after Jesus had done the Last Supper with his disciples, with the 12 guys that he was closest to, the 12 guys that he poured into, the 12 guys that he had been doing life with for a number of years. Right after that, we see that Jesus travels to a garden. So we're going to pick it up in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, you, you couldn't watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You, you see a different side of Jesus than you do in the 25 chapters leading up to this. You, you get such a real window into the humanity of Jesus in these last couple chapters, specifically this one, chapter 26. You see that Jesus is troubled. Jesus is overcome with sorrow, and, and he wasn't feeling this pressure and feeling this weight and feeling this sorrow because he was going to die. How many people know that sometimes you go through seasons of life that are so hard, dying actually feels like the easier option? Dying seems like it would be more convenient at the moment than having to walk through or go through the pain that I'm stuck with here on earth. It wasn't the physical death that Jesus was so troubled about. You, as you, you read in this prayer that Jesus is referencing the cup, let this cup pass from me. This cup is a metaphor for the wrath of God, the just vengeance of God on sin. And so what is the primary point of pressure and stress 
and trouble and sorrow for Jesus is this, the fact that he's about to willingly submit himself to the wrath of God for the sins of all humanity. Of all humanity. I'm sure everyone in here could think of a time where you maybe saw a story on the news or you watched a documentary on Netflix or, or you read a story on your phone or whatever. You read something in the newspaper, something that was so disturbing, something that broke your heart so bad. Maybe you witnessed something, a car accident, or you witnessed something that happened in person, something that troubled you, that turned your stomach so bad that you couldn't shake it the rest of the day. Something that was just so, no other word for it than evil. We can all think of, of, of things and stories and crimes that we've heard of that could only be categorized as plain old evil. And you can't shake it. Maybe there's been things that, that you have done that the guilt and the shame has been like a monkey on your back that will not let go and it follows you everywhere that you go. Could you imagine just for a second the weight, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment of every sin ever committed by all of humanity falling on the shoulders, the heart, and the soul of one person. Could you imagine the pressure of feeling the weight of all of that? And not just the weight, but then also the vengeance of God on all of that. That a perfect and a holy and a just God giving Jesus the punishment for all of us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that it was for our sake that he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't this idea that Jesus didn't even know sin, this is mind-blowing to me. It'd be scary enough for you and I who have lived a life of sin, who have made these decisions, who have experienced sin. Could you imagine never even having you don't know anything about it. You've never experienced it. You've seen the effects of it in other people, but you've never had to, to feel it yourself. The fear that you would have of understanding that it's all about to hit you. I mean, I cannot even imagine the stress, the pressure that Jesus must have been feeling. Now, this is the primary thing that he's praying about, but I also want to make you aware and point out a few things on the side on top of that, Jesus is also, I'm sure, struggling with feelings of betrayal. One of his closest friends, out of pure greed for money, sells Jesus out to his own death. A lot of us in here have had a relationship that's been broken where we have felt stabbed in the back. Jesus literally is getting stabbed in the back. I mean, somebody is selling him out. These, these feelings of betrayal that I'm sure must have been going on inside of Jesus. How about these feelings of abandonment? That not just from the 12, but I picked the three closest friends that I have. The three that I'm closest to. And I'm just asking you, could you just pray with me? I, not, not for a whole day. I got an hour, and I'm going through the worst season of my life. All I'm asking you to do, could you just watch, and could you just pray? And they couldn't even do that. That Jesus is wrestling with, man, I'm doing this for all of humanity and you can't stay awake for one hour? You can't pray with me for one hour? Picture what, what must be going on, these thoughts and feelings that he's wrestling with. How about this? Could you imagine the pressure of expectation 
that is on Jesus' shoulders to save all of humanity for eternity. I mean, I will feel pressured to do certain things, like to get a project in on time, you know what I mean? Or like get a raise or get a promotion or whatever. Jesus is saving humanity. He's the only one that can do it. No, nobody else has come. Nobody else can do this. It's only Jesus. He's the only option. And the only way to do it is if he gives up everything, is if he, he does this. Could you imagine the weight of the expectation of the creator of the universe looking down on you and being like, it's on you, man. Could you imagine the fear in the physical for what he was about to go through? I, 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 can't, I can't even wrap my mind around the fear that would just be gripping your soul, knowing the physical beating that you're about to take. There was so much that was culminating and hitting at, at, at one moment. You know, and then I feel ridiculous because there's times where people are like, how you doing? I'm like, when it rains, it pours. You know, and I'm like referring to the fact that I stubbed my toe in the morning and then I burnt my toast and then I had to get gas in my car. I mean, like, picture for a second, everything is coming down on him. E- everything is coming down on him. And, and all he did for 33 years was live a selfless life for everybody else. I can't wrap my mind around what must have been going on inside the mind and the soul of Jesus. And how fitting that he brings these disciples to this garden named Gethsemane. Do you know that Gethsemane in the original language translates to the place of pressure? The place of pressure. Gethsemane was an oil press. It's where they would make oil. They would squeeze those olives and they would, they would make oil out of it. Jesus goes to this place of pressure to go through everything that he's about to go through for this hour. Now, we, we know how the story ends and we see that Jesus he didn't waver, he didn't falter, but he, for the joy set before him, he did what he was sent here to do, what he willingly chose to come and do, and it was incredible. But I want to just look for a moment at two extremely practical things that Jesus did that naturally I don't like to do either one of them. First thing that I want to point out to you is that Jesus sought out others. Jesus sought out others. This is so profound because I naturally isolate myself. When I'm going through something, it is so much easier for me to say, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Thank you for the prayers. That was awesome. I appreciate it. I'm good. I'm good now. So much easier for me. I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't want to trouble that person with what I'm actually going through. or oh, I don't know how that person would actually, I don't, they might think a little bit different of me if they actually knew what was going on. You know, like I don't, I don't know if we're that close. I just... I'll come up with any reason in the book, even in my own family. I'll, I'll justify isolating myself by saying, I'm, I'm the dad, I'm the husband, I'm the leader of my home, and so I'm going to make sure that my kids are good. I'm going to make sure that my wife is good. Hey, how was your day? Tell me about everything. Yeah, okay, okay. And then I'll be like, you know what? She had a rough day. I'm not going to bother her with what, what happened with me. And I just, I will isolate myself. It comes naturally. I don't even have to work hard at doing it. I just do it. Isn't it so crazy that the Son of God 
realize the importance of seeking out other people, other humans. If the Son of God recognized his need for others, other humans, how do I think that I could get through anything by doing it on my own? I, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And I love this, this openness and honest answer that Jesus gives these disciples, these, these three guys that he takes with him. Jesus, if you read it, it's awesome actually to read it in different translations how it's worded, but he's basically saying, I, I feel so messed up or I am not okay. I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. You know, some translations he says, I, I feel like the life is literally being crushed out of me. I wonder for a second if like Peter was like, you think you're being a little dramatic, Jesus? Like, and I'm going to be honest with you, that's how I think, so I probably wouldn't say that. I probably would sugarcoat how I was actually feeling, and I wouldn't be man enough to be honest and say, I feel like I'm going to die, honestly. Because I'd be more worried about what you would think than me being honest with you about how I feel. But Jesus is brutally honest with these guys. I'm not okay. And he, he just asked two things of these people. He says, could you remain here? And he says, could you watch and pray? Could you, could you just be with me? Could you just be here? Could, could you keep an eye out? Could you, could you just pray for me? You know what Jesus did not need at the moment was a pep talk. Jesus didn't want to hear tough talk like Peter, like, oh, no one's going to take you. I'll take my sword out. And Jesus didn't want to hear that. Jesus didn't want to hear a rebuke. You're the son of God. Why are you stressed about this? You know how Jesus didn't want to hear any of that. Jesus didn't need a message. Jesus didn't need Peter being like, oh, Jesus, you know, I just listened to this podcast. I'm going to send it to you on your phone. You need to listen to it. You know what Jesus needed? Jesus was like, I just need you to be here. Like, I, I just need to know that, that my friends are close. I, I need to know that you have my back. And all, all you can do is pray. I, I just need you to pray. And it's so important. He comes back and he's checking up on him. He wakes Peter. He's like, I, I'm just asking you. Again, I'd probably feel too self-conscious to wake Peter. i like, ah, oh, forget it. I already asked once. I'm not going to ask again. Isn't it so funny that Jesus didn't wait for somebody to notice? Jesus wasn't like, if they knew me, then they would know. Oof. Putting it on them, because I'm not going to be honest. Jesus didn't wait for someone to be like, hey, Jesus, you good? You look down. Jesus, you've been a little quiet tonight. Is everything all right? Jesus, this, this garden's a little weird. What's going on? Jesus didn't wait for anybody to ask questions. Jesus sought them out and said, I need you to know I'm not okay. We should be a community here and a family here that, that it is known that it's, it's all good to not be okay. It is normal to not be okay. It is natural to not be okay. And so if you feel any pressure to lie and act like you are okay when things are not okay, that's not what we want. When you're not okay, we want to know that you're not okay. We want to be here for you. And there's going to be times where I don't know what to say. But that's okay because it doesn't really matter what I have to say anyways. I'm just going to be here with you. I'm going to pray for you. I got your back. I'm supporting you. I'm believing that God's going to bring breakthrough for you. 
But we're here. We're going to get through it as a family. You're going to be okay. Solomon says in Proverbs 18, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolation doesn't lead to anything good. I can only isolate myself for so long before I start to be irrational and I start to do things that I shouldn't do and I start to say things I shouldn't say and make decisions that I shouldn't make. But there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. There's wisdom in having people in your life that you know love you, that their life is pointed in the same direction as yours, that they value and prioritize the same things that you value and you prioritize. And people that you can be honest with and you don't have to worry about what they're going to think about you. That you can just be real with. Jesus sought out other people. The second thing that Jesus did is that Jesus sought God. You might be like, oh, wow, so profound. I'm going to be honest with you. I, if I had a nickel for every time that I said, I'm praying for it, I'm not praying for it. Don't judge me. Honestly, you know how many times I've been like, man, I'm going through something. I've been praying. Actually, I haven't, though. I'm saying that I'm praying for it, but I really have not spent more time coming before God, being like, God, I need something. I need a breakthrough. I don't know what to do with this. We could fall into just this Christian lingo and saying what we think we should say and not actually doing what we should be doing. Jesus sought God, the Son of God, the one who had the, the, the most personal connection with God, still took the physical discipline to seek God and to talk to God. Jesus wasn't like, well, he knows how I'm feeling. He created me. He knows me better than anybody else. Do I really have to say it? Jesus did. Jesus sought God. Jesus prays three times, and I love this. He just prays the same thing every time. You ever get to a situation you're like so baffled, you're like, I don't even know what to say anymore. I got nothing. Well, Jesus just does three simple things in these prayers. He prays with intimacy. He prays with honesty. And he ends it with surrender. Literally two sentences. He starts off by saying, my father. All three times he starts off by saying, my father. Now, this word in the original language, father is not the best translation for it. It's actually a word called Abba. And Abba is the noise or the sound or the word that a Hebrew baby would make when they're trying to learn to say the word dad. So the, the more effective translation for us, the equivalent in our culture would be a baby saying dada. The innocence of a child approaching their father, trying to say what they should be saying, trying to address him how he should be addressed and saying dada. Now, let me tell you something. There is nothing that melts me more than when one of my children say that. I mean, not the six and five-year-old now. That's just weird. I'm like, don't talk like a baby. But, <laughs> but Chloe, Chloe right now, she's not even saying dada. She's just saying dad. We haven't got the second one, but it's all right if it never comes. The, I, the, one of the coolest things right now, it's been a rocky summer for me. One of the things that has got me through this summer, whenever I get home from work, we have an electronic door lock, and so we, we don't use a key. So when I get home and I start punching in the code, it's like beep, 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 beep. I can hear through the door, Chloe go, yeah! 
And then when I opened the door, she's like running and saying, Dah! Dah! and honestly, it doesn't matter if I had the day from hell, I melt. I can't help but be moved when she just, just wants me and she's trying her best and she's just running after me. This isn't a coincidence that Jesus is praying like this or using this word. When the disciples ask him in Matthew 6, could you teach us how to pray? Jesus gives them this example using the same word, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So this was a pattern that when Jesus would spend time praying, when Jesus would spend time speaking to God, that he was setting his perspective on the fact that I'm your child, you are my dad, and I'm approaching you with, with innocence. I'm approaching you with dependence. Can I say something? There's, it melts me like crazy when Chloe says it. I feel so awkward as a grown man saying the word dada. I don't even like saying it in front of you right now. I feel weird. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a grown man. Because I'm independent. And that is so vulnerable to say. I feel awkward saying that. What a perspective shaper for Jesus to always start by saying, Dada, like you're, you're my father, I'm your child, and I need you. Like I am so dependent on you. I have nowhere else to go. There's nothing else I can do. You are everything to me. You are my father, and I love you. If you back up a few verses from where we started tonight, you'll see that when they left the upper room and they were on their way down to the garden, you see this short little verse that talks about them singing a hymn on their way to the garden. And if you, if you look into that, you realize that this was this uh, traditional song that, that Jews would sing, and it was made up of a bunch of psalms, and it ends with Psalms 136. And this is 26 verses, and every other line says, your love never quits. So 26 times, Jesus is saying on the way to the place of pressure, your love never quits. Your love never quits. Your love never quits. Jesus was reminding his humanity and his soul as he was going through pressure like none of us have ever experienced or will ever experience, that he was talking to his father, and he was reminding himself that my dad's love never quits. My dad's love has no boundaries. My dad's love will go over or under or around anything that could stand in between me and him. My dad loves me. He then goes on to, to say, let this, this cup pass from me. If there's any other way. He, he's praying with honesty. So many times we pray what we think we should say instead of what we actually feel. And then we wonder why we don't feel close to God. And you hear me, I say this all the time, I sound like a broken record, but you can't have intimacy without honesty. This is the thing. God knows it already. Who are you fooling? Seriously, who are you fooling? Well, you're affecting yourself because this is the reality. Whether you're honest with God or you're not honest with God, God loves you and God is pursuing you. You are your own source of this lack of intimacy. Do you know why? Because if you say hi to me and I say hi to you and you ask me how things are going and I lie to you and I, I make it sound like everything is okay, I immediately don't feel close to you because you actually don't know what's going on in my life. It's not your fault. It's mine. You know who I feel so close to are those people in my life that I say anything to. That I, I don't have to worry anymore if they're going to look at me different or judge me or preach at me. They just let me go. They let me sound off. 
and they're still there for me. That's who I feel closest to. How amazing is it that the Son of God, who willingly came to earth, knowing what he was about to do, is so honest with God, with his Father, that he's saying, if there's any other way, I don't want to do this. Like, let this... Look at how honest Jesus is being in this moment. Now, this honesty doesn't just lead to intimacy, but I also want to point something else out. Honesty brings you to this doorway where you make a choice to either act on how you feel or submit and surrender to God. So honesty is actually the thing that brings you to making the choice of whether or not you're going to submit to God. So he prays, let this cup pass from me, but then he ends this prayer in submission by saying, but not my will, yours be done. So the admission on Jesus' part is, just because I feel this doesn't mean that it's right. Just because I'm thinking a certain way doesn't mean that, that I know best. So even though I'm feeling this, God, what I value more than what I feel is what you want is your will. I'm going to call the band up as I begin to close. I want to draw a distinction between something. There's a big difference between your desires and your decisions. Okay, desires are natural. We all have them, and you're always going to have them. Decisions are what are important because it's whether or not you're acting on those desires. So you can have desires. The important thing is if you get to the point where you make the decision to say, but God, I I ultimately trust you. Ultimately, I have faith in whatever you have for me. And maybe it lines up with my desires. Maybe it doesn't. That's not important. What is important is I choose to submit to your plan and not mine. I choose to trust that you know better and not me. See, pretending, the opposite of honesty, it just leads you to denial. That's, that's all pretending produces is more and more denial, is more and more dishonesty. You get to a point where you're not going to feel close to anybody because nobody knows the real story. You're not going to feel close to God because you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. You're going to even start to feel lost with yourself because sometimes we even start to believe the things that we say to other people. (laughs) And then we're so confused because we're like, well, why do I feel this way if I think, God doesn't want you to pretend. God wants you to be honest. And then God wants you to bring you to the point where you say, but God, I, I trust you. God, I have faith in you. So even though I don't want to do this, even though I hate this season of life that I'm in, even though I'm frustrated with how this has worked out or that hasn't happened or this has happened and I don't understand why, I do trust you still. When's the last time that we spent time praying with the discipline of saying, God, I do trust you? Honestly, like when I do get to the point of praying for my problems, usually God is my sounding board and I tell him how much life sucks at the moment. And then I either get distracted or I end it with like, so fix it. (laughs) When's the last time that we were like, this is how I'm feeling and I'm putting it all out there. But you know what else I'm going to put out there? I'm going to make the decision to trust you. And you know what? Jesus knew the situation wasn't going to change. Some of us, we submit because we think that that's our best shot at God actually doing what we want him to do. How amazing is it that Jesus knew what was still going to happen, and Jesus still said, God, I submit to you.
God, I trust you. Because he knew that God knew better. And he knew that he was withstanding pressure. But God had a plan. And because it was his father and because he loved him and because he trusted him, he was willing to withstand that pressure. You know, a um, year, year and a half ago, as some, a lot of you guys know, we were struggling with Carter and his skin. And, and he was getting all these crazy infections and MRSA and staph. And he would get these. It would start off looking like a pimple, but it would quickly turn into this huge just bump on his leg and it would it would be filled with infection and um you know I always knew it was painful until I got it myself and the first time that I got it I started crying because the thought hit me this is what he's been dealing with this whole time I had no idea I had no idea and it literally tore my heart out so what would happen is is Carter wouldn't want anybody to touch it. Sometimes they would go away on their own, but usually they would just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what would happen is it would start off uh, as a spot maybe on his shin, and within a couple days' time, the swelling would be so bad it would be up into his thigh, down into his ankle. There were times where it was so bad he couldn't bend his knee. He wasn't, he wasn't walking right. And so we would let it go to a certain point, and then we would get to the time where I'd have to sit him down. I'm reasoning with a 4-year-old saying, buddy, I have to get that out. And he would be bawling, saying, Daddy, please don't touch it. And I'm like, I, this is going to stink for a moment, man. I know it, and I'm going to try to be as gentle as I can, and I'm going to be right here. And if we need to stop for a second, I'll stop for a second. But we got to get this out because what you don't understand is it's affecting everything else. You feel the pressure at this one spot, but it's affecting everything else. Things aren't working the way that they should. You're dealing with so much other stuff because you're avoiding this, this moment of pressure. But, buddy, we have to get that out. That infection has to get out. And we would put pressure there, and it would be a painful moment. It would be a painful season. But the result was the next day things were starting to clear up again, and the swelling was starting to go down. He could bend his knee again. He could begin to walk again. And the only reason why he was willing to do it was because I was looking him in the eye as his dad saying, buddy, trust me. I got you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. And I'm not going to lie to you. This isn't going to be easy, but it's for your good and it's for your benefit. Some of us in here, you may be going through a season of pressure. You may be going through a season of life where you are feeling weight and you don't get it and you think maybe God left and maybe it's something that God is using to draw some infection out, to draw some unforgiveness out, to draw some bitterness out, to draw some pain out, to make you confront some things that you will carry the rest of your life if you don't sit for a moment and submit to God and what he's doing. I feel like this last week, God has asked me the question, when you're feeling this pressure and you feel like weight is coming down on you right now, you got a choice. You can either seek a release or you can trust in my refinement. You can try to escape it. You can seek the nearest form of relief. Or you could choose to say, God, I trust you. And I believe that all this that I'm feeling, you are using to refine me. All of this that I'm going through, you're using to build me up. You're using to grow me. You're using for me to encourage somebody else or to speak life into somebody else. That, God, I do believe that you are going to work things out for good. I do believe that things that you didn't even cause, 
you can turn around and make them work for good. Things that the enemy sent to destroy me or to attack me or to discourage me, you can use to build me up. You can build integrity and character inside of me. God, I trust you. I believe in your refinement. And I thank you that you're not going anywhere. I want to encourage you tonight. If you don't know what to do, start with these two things. Find some people in your life that you could just be honest with. Seek them out. Don't wait for someone to come to you and ask you how you're doing. Go to somebody and just be like, I just need you. I got to be honest with you. And you know what? Sometimes I'm like, yo, I don't need an answer. I don't need you to talk. And I sound like a jerk saying that. But could you just listen for one minute? Can I just get all this out? Seek some people out that you could just be real with, honest with. And then take the discipline to actually bring it before God and to be honest with God. To approach him with this perspective of like, God, I thank you that you love me and I thank you that you are my father. I do believe that you're my father. My approach is so different if I'm, if I'm going before someone that I don't know, that I'm not close to, that I'm not sure if they're for me or against me. I'm not sure if they're going to rule in my favor or do something that I don't want. When I go to my dad, I know what I can expect. He loves me. And even if I don't agree with him in the moment, it doesn't change the fact that I know that he loves me. Bring it before God. Be honest with him. But then take the spiritual step to say, but God, I trust you. God, I do believe in you. God, I do submit to what you're doing. God, I do surrender, and I do believe that you're in control. I want to ask you to stand tonight. We're going to go back into a song just to, to close out. But you know, I love these two promises in the book of Psalms that God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. So God is pursuing you when you feel like life is crushing you. Another verse in Psalms talks about how God draws near to the person who comes to him in truth. That when it comes to God, you don't need to pretend to have it all together. You don't need to pretend to be someone that you're not. You don't need to say what you think you should say. He just wants you. He, he just wants you. He wants to be close to you. He's drawing near to you, and he's going to save you. This thing that you think is going to take you out, this thing that is overwhelming you, guess what? I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to provide for you. And it might hurt, and it might stink, and you are going to feel some pressure, but I'm going to be with you through every step of the way. I'm not going anywhere. And guess what? In the end, it's going to make sense. You're going to see what I've been doing. You're going to see what's been happening behind the scenes, and we're going to use this for good. Do you believe that for you tonight? Come on, do you believe that these promises are for you and your life and your situation and your family and your marriage with your children? I believe that, that tonight, if for nothing else, God made sure that you were in this place so that you can leave here with a greater awareness that God is close, that God is near, that he is pursuing you. Come on, if you're in here tonight and you say, man, God, I need to feel you tonight. I need to know that you're here. God, I want to believe these things for me. Can you raise your hands? I just want to pray for you for one moment. Come on, all around this place, if you're like, God, I need you right now. God, I'm feeling pressure right now. I'm feeling weight right now. I'm feeling crushed right now. God, I'm overcome. Jesus, we, we pray to you tonight, and, and Lord, we come boldly because we know who we're praying to. Lord, we thank you that this, this sacrifice that you made bought the victory for us through everything, through every situation, in every circumstance, in every shortcoming, God, in every painful situation, Lord. I thank you that because you handled this 
this place of pressure the way that you did, that there is no pressure that could take me out, Lord. There is no pressure that could break me or break my family, Lord. I thank you that you are always working for our benefit and for our good. God, I pray for the heart tonight, the soul tonight that feels far from you. Lord, I pray that any lie that the enemy has has cast on anybody here, Lord, to think that you are not aware of what's going on, Lord, that they would sense right now, supernaturally, your Holy Spirit so close, the embrace of your love and your peace. God, I pray, Lord, that if I'm ever tempted to try to pretend like things are okay, if I'm ever trying to just isolate myself and, and deal with my own problems, that your Holy Spirit would remind me of this model that Jesus has given us. Lord, we thank you that you are our Abba Father, Lord, that you are our loving Father. God, I thank you that you want who I am. And God, we say tonight, we surrender to you. God, we submit to you. Lord, we trust you. God, we believe that you are good in all of your ways. Lord, we believe that you are holy, that you are righteous. Lord, we believe that your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So God, we put our life in your hands tonight and we sing this to you. Come on, sing this out. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.